Sensational stop by Sparty. Interception by Angelo Grove. And the first touch is for Kenneth Walker. And a breakaway down the far sideline. And Kenneth Walker will take it to the... This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Now for your host, Nathan Stearns. Welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, as always, joined by our regular crew of Zach Sertanik and Aiden Champion. Folks, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Excited to get down to Bloomington and uh, cover that. It was a great time in New Jersey over the weekend. I think you guys had fun as well, didn't you? Great is an interesting word choice. It was an okay trip. Like, I enjoyed the trip. But it was chaotic, I think, is my it was chaotic, my better word choice. I and I like the hotel. Hotel was nice. Rutgers media food was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, internet was not nice. I'll let Stearns rant on that in a minute. But yeah, well, I mean, I was gonna. He's right between missing the connecting flights. Oh, that was a mess. Seven thirty in the morning, then having to run the forty foot Ethernet thing. Like I give Rutgers athletics props. They let us know that. Um, we were 30 feet away that the the nearest Ethernet port was 30 feet away from our seats. The problem was what direction? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, we got to run it through the Rutgers Athletic Booster Alumni Club. So every time I'm going over there trying to flip the Ethernet and mess with the Ethernet box and everything, it's like, oh, I got to go through five or six different people and little Johnny the Rapscallion is playing <laughs> Is trying to do his best Bryce Berenger impression and punt the stupid box up one way and down the other. We'll get more in on that a little bit later because <laughs> the people who were destroying my equipment, like Zach, didn't like me. Gee, I wonder why. We, we've we learned that I'm the diplomat of the broadcast And I'm the crew. one who kind of strangles people whenever because I don't like when people destroy my equipment. But what else do I do? Because if the equipment gets busted, then I get yelled at. By yeah, you've me. got a very good point. You've got you were fair in your analysis with that. I I try, I try to be, but <laughs> on happier news, Michigan State is six and zero on the season. The first Big Ten team to become bowl eligible. Now there are a couple of other Big Ten teams who became bowl eligible, most notably Michigan. But at the time when Michigan State beat Rutgers at what was it three thirty on Saturday, they were the only team in the Big Ten that had gotten to that six-win threshold. Here's an interesting stat for you. Michigan State is bowl eligible before Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. Want to hear a bold take with that? What? Michigan State will still probably end up in the worst bowl of those three teams. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> most likely, but still, we, we can live in our <laughs> figmented imagination like I did when Especially Carolina was 3-0, and no, and but, now I'm very, very angry. And but wanna... one thing I did think was interesting... I think Michigan State's really starting to put people on notice. I saw three different like reporters all list Michigan State in their playoff projections as the number three because a couple of them were ESPN ones where they just put out a big list, and so I didn't get an explanation. But the article I read in The Athletic, I don't remember exactly who the author of it was, but it was somebody from The Athletic, and they said that... They put Michigan State in there because they felt that Michigan State is the most complete team in the Big Ten. I don't know that I agree for sure, but their offense has been electric, and for all the talk that people have had about Michigan State's defense, 
They're only allowing 18 points a game. Michigan State, by virtue of being 6-0, and also has three road wins, all by double, double figures. Of course, beating Northwestern Week 1, Miami Week 3, and now Rutgers on the road. Five of their six wins this year have been by at least 17 points. Kenneth Walker has another sensational game on the ground. 233 rushing yards, 29 carries, his 94-yard rushing score in the third quarter was the longest offensive play from scrimmage in Michigan State history, which is a really interesting stat when you consider that Michigan State's been playing football for the better part of 120 years. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they they look good. I know it's, it's just six weeks in. Um, there's a lot we're going to learn these next few weeks about this team. Um, but I think it's just great that they're in the spotlight, um, especially Kenneth Walker, really. I know, Stearns, you don't like the Heisman talk. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's it's fun when you're covering a team that has a leading Heisman candidate or one of the leading Heisman candidates. Whispers, he's probably the favorite right now. I mean, looking at from what everybody is talking about, the only place that really doesn't seem to have him as the favorite is Vegas and the sports books, which does make me a little worried on it because Vegas usually knows. But, I mean, going back to another thing, The Athletic took a straw poll this week of the Heisman. They've been doing it for the last couple weeks. And Kenneth Walker was, like, in the top 10 last week. Now he is first by a while, by a wide margin. And Bijan Robinson was second. So we talked about quarterbacks versus running backs last week in terms of Heisman talk. And Walker's really gotten up there. And the other thing about his 94-yard score, he now holds the longest play from scrimmage at Michigan State and at Wake Forest. And that's something you don't see very often. Yeah, they they interviewed him in the postgame. How do you feel about your 94-yard touchdown? Uh, not too much. I'm not going to make much about it. I had a 96-yard rush against Wake Forest. Kenneth Walker... Leading the country with 913 rushing yards has a quite a lengthy lead over second place. B. John Robinson is actually now in third. I can't think of the Syracuse halfback's name, but he's in second. He overtook B. John Robinson with uh, Syracuse's nail-biting loss to Wake Forest on Saturday evening. Peyton Thorne has another strong day through the air. Goes 16 of 27, 339 passing yards and three scores. But perhaps the biggest story. From that game, Jalen Naylor is unconscious, goes for 221 yards and three touchdowns of over 60 yards all in the first half. It was like Ricky White 2.0 against Michigan. Just go routes and running right past people. The move he put on Trey Avery, and let me preface this, Trey Avery is a phenomenal corner for Rutgers. He was an All-Big Ten honorable mention selection last season, and just the first touchdown that Naylor had, he walks out, and it's pretty slow off the line, puts one double move on him, and he's got 20 yards of space because that guy can fly. But the other thing that Michigan State did really well is they set up Naylor. That play was made because Avery was looking in the backfield at Jaden Reed. The reason why Michigan State's had three flea flicker touchdowns this season, including another one this week to Naylor, is because the gravity that Kenneth Walker has on a defense. Those three together set each other up so well because you either have to crowd the box to stop Walker, and then you've got one-on-one on the outside. Or you try to cover Reed and Naylor, and Walker's just going to have a field day. That's what makes this offense so deep, is it's pick your poison. 
The best touchdown he had, though, was that second one. Oh, yeah, that was Thorne filthy. throws the ball. I think it's third and long. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was third, third and long. Third and five, I think. Or something like that. Yeah, and third down, though. Naylor makes the over-the-shoulder catch. His momentum's carrying him toward the sideline. Mind you, it's good coverage on the outside. Not only does he have the awareness to stop and pivot when all your momentum is carrying you toward that near right sideline, he stops on a dime, reverses field, and there's a giant convoy. It's not even just the ability to stop that quickly, but the awareness instead of, oh, well, you know, I'll just step out of bounds because nine out of ten receivers are like, oh, I got a 40-yard gain. You know, Mm -hmm. the corner's right there. Let me just step out of bounds, take the first down. Nope, look right over, reverse field, and cut right back toward the middle of the field. That was one of the best displays of not even that was a hard catch too i mean he's running and he's looking back at the ball and thorn threw it in the bread basket but i mean he doesn't have a lot of time to play the ball in the air because the corner's right on top of him it's so hard to beat this michigan state team because Jaden reed has three catches for 29 yards non-factor and then you have kenneth walker and Jalen naylor who take uh pick up the slack for reed who is really a non-factor in the punt return game and in the kick return game Zach is absolutely right, though. I love the Rutgers food. Northwestern, we didn't get much of nothing. We go in there, and I'm like, holy crap. Now, granted, we're outside, but we still walk up to the press box before we were starting our broadcast because we were in the outdoor bowl, the outdoor concourse for the uh, student radio broadcast where right next to Rutgers student media station. They had waffles, eggs, potatoes, hash browns. I can't eat a lot of things just because I'm allergic to everything under the sun. I went home very happy that day. And then even and this is after we had already gorged ourselves at the Embassy Suites breakfast 2 hours before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a good food. Um all around. Hotel had great food. It was a four-star hotel. It should have been good food. I was going to say it. Room was nice. We actually got the the one thing I love about those Embassy Suites is that everybody gets their own bed. Now, granted, the guy sitting immediately immediately to my left was selfish and hijacked the pull-out couch and the extra TV for himself, but it's okay. We love him anyway. See, that's the thing I kind of like, because how we go on these road trips, Nathan gets his own bed. Like, that's just how it goes. Nathan's the oldest here. Nathan's been doing the longest. And I'm the selfish one, right? I was going to say, I wonder if people listening would have been able to guess which one he was talking about is sitting to immediately to his left, because I don't think they would know. Hey, when you get to be a director level, you can have your own bed too, Mr. Sports Editorial Assistant glaring at me. Um, you know what, though? And I will say that Eric Bach, I remember it was Eric Shabath and, uh, no, it was Eric McCray and Gilmore that went down to College Park. Oh, was it two years ago in 2019? They made Gilmore sleep on the floor. Like, uh, like every time that's a Joe thing. That's a McCray thing. That's a Kyle Turk thing. All the youngest, most inexperienced person that goes on these trips, you sleep on the floor, you sleep in the bathtub, you sleep with, <laughs> you sleep with a bath towel between your legs to make you comfy in the Hampton Inn, in the, uh, Hampton Inn bathtub. But now everything was really, really nice. Michigan, uh, Michigan State now one of five teams in the Big Ten in the AP poll, top ten next to Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Are we excited for our Memorial Stadium experience with the three-sided tent? Like, that is going to be awesome on top of the press box. And you know what's going to be even better? I checked, and I read the itinerary on the little folder that we got from Ben that was sent to us by Indiana Athletics. We're going to be right next to Indiana Student Radio Station, too. 
You know, making the grounds, baby, making the rounds. You know, it's gonna be the best thing about all of this, right? It's supposed to rain. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we'll 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 figure it out. I just. I'm honestly very curious. It would make it. It would not suit well for Michigan State. But if it is just like a torrential downpour, how will Michigan State's offense be able to play in that? Because you know with Michigan State-Michigan, there's going to be some weird like tsunami or random thing that happens in that game because it always is weird stuff going on in, when those two teams play. So It is an interesting point. I mean, they, they haven't played a game that where weather was really a factor yet. Um, but... You play in the Big Ten, it's going to get cold soon. Yeah. And I was going to say the only thing I could effect. think of was the Miami game where it rained a little bit in the second half, but other than that, there was Yeah, but that probably felt good because yeah. it was 107,000 sure. degrees on the field that day. Yeah. So your three favorite broadcasters or two broadcasters and a writer will be standing atop the Memorial Stadium press box to bring you guys the Michigan State-Indiana football game Thursday, or this Sunday, this Saturday <laughs> at noon. As long as I don't have to deal with the Bloomington version of Hacky Sack Johnny again, I will be happy. And you guys are probably wondering, who in God's name is Hacky Sack Johnny? Well, I'll tell you who (laughs) Hacky Sack Johnny is. Mind you, we got a brand new fancy Ethernet cord. Actually, we got three of them, you know, thanks to our lovely boss, Jeremy Whiting, who's always looking out for us. And... I'm already frustrated enough. Like, I have a very low threshold of patience. Like, anybody That's that knows an me will tell you that. And I'm running the cord through the, through the thing. And Zach and I are kind of, it's like a fishing line. You know, you're kind of weaving it through the back of the Alumni Boosters Club. Broadcast goes good. The, fir- the pregame show's fine. The majority of the first quarter's fine. And then, poof, just dies. And I'm over there. And I have to weave through, like, these three or four drunk older Rutgers alumni. Oh, who are you? What are you doing? I'm doing my job. What are you doing, Grandma? Retirement home's that way. And a bro, box just... floating down the Raritan River. Bro, bro. But, <laughs> but so, And then there's little Johnny who's sitting right in front of the power outlet. Just playing hacky sack and kicking, like, and I can see, like, the Ethernet cord, like, starting to fray as he's punting it. I'm like, oh, great, this kid's damaging my equipment. So me being the wonderful and kind soul that I am, son, thank you for being so happy. Would, but would you just be able to move, uh, you know, out for a quick second? I just got to check this connection. No you worries. You said it exactly like that? There is 0% chance that he said it like well, that. Well, I didn't say quick kicking. I said, I, I said, hey, buddy, like, can you please move or something? I tried to do it in the nicest way I could, even though, you know, I... What I was questioning but, was you saying it nicely. Even though I wanted to say something um, <laughs> completely different. Do that! That's done! And, you know, Zach and I are running cords and this, that, and the other, and you know, the second half of the broadcast was a complete bleep show just because our wireless adapter wasn't Actually, working. the second half of the first half, like the, the second, second quarter. Because the second good. half was great. Oh, did great. I say second half? I meant second quarter. The second half was fine. You Thanks know, to Rutgers IT. Truly. Yeah, and they've, they fixed us up, to be fair. But they come over at halftime. Rutgers IT's testing our connection. Oh, your cord's fine. Oh, yeah, we think there's just a little bit of a problem with the outlet. So they wrap around the, I don't know what they did. They so, wrap like some sort of bundle around the outside of the box and send it back to us and everything was fine. Yeah, but so, I had to go over there three or four times. And every time I saw little jo- either little Johnny trying to do his best to destroy the 
the Ethernet port, which I can tell you probably doesn't get used hardly at all, if at all, because Rutgers student media doesn't use it. And where it's located doesn't exactly make me think that there's a lot of technical people using it. But you want to tell them the story about how you went over there and they magically liked you, because I know I don't have the most... <laughs> um, welcoming presence when i'm pissed off yeah so that story was funny so i'll tell that real quick and then i'll uh say what happened with the it people while you were back at the thing and i was talking to them but the uh i go over there and this is after stearns has been there for three times or so and i walk over there and the first thing the lady does is she puts her hands up and it's like i didn't touch it and i'm like i know i'm sorry i'm sorry i've just got to mess with this we're having some trouble with it um, and I'm like really apologetic and trying to be like super nice with them. And then the older lady, like that's standing behind there is like, we like you. The other guy was really rude. You're nice about it. And I was just like, he's had a long day. It's been rough. We're trying to get this figured out. I'm sorry. But what the IT people did was basically kind of like what you said, it was getting kind of like kicked and stepped on. And so all that we did was we kind of taped it up to the fence. We ran it like through the fence and then we wrapped it around the extra slack around the thing so that there was no room for anybody to kick it because it wasn't on the ground or within reach of being kicked. And so basically they just little Johnny proofed it and then we were good to go. Yeah, but after you go over there the third or fourth time and they, they're looking at you and they're like, hmm, he's gone over here three But I don't times. think it was just them though to because- fix the court oh i wonder what he's doing but they had like the same group of people there like in front of that thing and like every time i went over they they looked at me like deer in the headlights well what what do you think i'm doing well there martha, was also i don't want to be over here any more than you are <laughs> martha like but... stop staring at me with your beady little demonic eyes and get out of my way and tell your grandson to qu quit destroying my equipment well there's also people the... have no respect for other people's <laughs> stuff and it pisses me off there's also all the people in between the port and where we were at so like little johnny wasn't the only one stepping on the ethernet cord there were all the other people too which made it really hard and it was the biggest thing in the second quarter that killed me was because for people to listen to the podcast but don't actually listen to our broadcast i do the first half of play-by-play -play and uh stearns does the second half so that we're in the second quarter and every time we bring it back zach sloak was on the board sloak's like you're back um, and he sends us back. I was like, we're like, come back now. And I'm like, hello, everyone. Welcome back into SHI Stadium here in Piscataway. Zach Sinek alongside Nathan Ste And then we get a text from Sloak. You're gone. Like, didn't even get into the, or a couple times it was, alongside Nathan Stearns. We apologize for some technical difficulties. We should be all good now. And then it cuts out. And I'm just like, you never knew when it was going to work or didn't work. No, you didn't. <laughs> but that's the... That's the beauty of student radio. So despite little Johnny's best demonic attempts, we were able to get three and a half quarters in of good broadcasting coverage, which for student radio is a quite an accomplishment. We were also obviously treated to Michigan State winning 31 to 13. The first win, this is the last time I will ever bring up this statistic because it is the last time it is probably relevant. The first time Mel Tucker's ever won a game at Michigan State after not scoring first big win for Michigan state, Kenneth Walker. I put Kenneth Walker is a bleeping monster. I can't uh, recite exactly what I put, but ran for 200 yard plus yards for the second time already this year. Jalen Naylor with a 221 yard performance, the fourth most yards in any performance of every wide out in school history. And that three touchdown performance tied a litany of Spartans for the 
most reception touchdown catches in one game in school history. Peyton Thorne's deep ball accuracy, something I think you got to take away for the game, has now thrown for over 250 yards in four out of six games this year. The only two games, obviously, where he didn't reach that mark was that 38-21 win over Northwestern in Evanston on September 3rd because, obviously, Kenneth Walker had 264 rushing yards, four touchdowns, didn't need Thorne to throw the ball, and then they had 23-20 overtime win against Nebraska on October 7th. Going into this week, Peyton Thorne now with 14 passing scores, two picks, a completion percentage of nearly 63%. Trey Mosley with another solid game as four catches for 59 yards. Maybe it's just me, but it seems like every game you can pencil him in for between three and five receptions and 50 to 70 yards. Like, that seems to be his M.O. every single game. I just wrote that in my notebook for my prep for this weekend. Uh, Something similar to that was... Seems like every game Mosley's going to get a, a few catches. He's going to get between 35 to 70 yards. And he's just going to be that solid third option there. And, I mean, you mentioned Thorne. Lansing State Journal just had an article out uh, by Graham Couch about uh, Peyton Th- comparing Thorne's starts to, or first six starts of this season in his first career as a starter to other Michigan State quarterbacks and where he ranks up. And he's like second in uh second in completion percentage, second in uh touchdown to interception, second in yards, but none of those were the quarterback's first seasons as a starter. He blows all of them away. Kirk Cousins, Drew Stanton, Brian Hoyer, Connor Cook, he blows all of them away in terms of the numbers as their first season as a starter. The only one that's anywhere near close is Connor Cook. And the one thing that none of those guys had is they weren't 6-0. and It's amazing because um, Thorne's kind of somewhat been overlooked. I mean, when you look at this offense and how many threats they have, it's uh, you forget sometimes that the guy who's making these plays is Thorne. And these plays, these big 60-whatever bomb catches, they don't happen without the accuracy of Thorne, and we've seen him run for the first down on times when he uh, scrambles. He's fast, uh, quick, and uh, he's got versatility, and, you know, this guy, he's he really is the, the quarterback that this offense wants at the helm. And you mentioned that they don't happen without the accuracy there. We saw that firsthand in the Rutgers game because there was a play where Aaron Cruikshank for Rutgers just busted contain and was wide open down the field and Vidral just didn't hit him. He overthrew him. Instead, Rutgers has to punt the very next drive. Kenneth Walker goes 94 yards for a touchdown. All of a sudden, a game that could have been a two-point conversion away from being tied as Aaron Cruikshank walks backwards into the end zone on some Michael Jackson moonwalking type stuff with how much space he had. Instead, it's an incompletion and they have to punt. And that, I think, is the big difference there. Well, and let's be honest, Rutgers is a decent football team, but without Bull Melton, they are not the same team. Aaron Crookshank went out of the game briefly at various spurts due to injury. The bottom line, though, is you can give him, you can give any quarterback a clear pocket, whether it's play action and you're causing the defense to bite really hard on the play fake due to some misdirection stuff, whatever you're doing, he's still got to throw that ball 50 to 60 yards on the line. That goal ball that he threw, that first touchdown, if you go back and look, there was a twist on the right side. Kevin Jarvis at right guard picks up the twist late. 
the defensive tackle's not getting a hand on Thorne. I might have been Julius Turner. But he's in the passing lane. So Thorne has to step up in the pocket. He's off his initial spot. He's got his eyes up, mind you. And it like a split second after readjusting his feet, because he's not really flushed out of the pocket, but he's moving in the pocket and he's climbing in the pocket, throws the ball on a 60-yard string to Jalen Naylor in stride. That second touchdown that he threw was absolutely unbelievable. That might have been one of the best throws he's had all year because of where you had to throw it. You throw it back toward the middle of the field, it's either going to be tipped or it's intercepted. The only way that play does what it does is if you throw it only where Jalen Naylor can catch it along that near sideline. But we saw him do it against Youngstown State with some of the throws he made against uh, to Jaden Reed. We saw it against Nebraska with the long 46-yard score that he had to Jaden Reed on the flea flicker. We've seen this time and time again. When you give him time in the pocket, he is lethal. Like, you look at the guy, you know, no offense, you look at the guy and it's like, I don't think he has the same arm strength as Anthony Russo or Hamp Faye. That was my proclivity. That was my impression of Peyton Thorne going into this year. But he's not a game manager anymore. He is a playmaker and he has, I think, at least right now, the best arm strength of any quarterback on this roster. I think um, kind of going off of that, that's why I think it's so big that they were able to have a complete offseason. I think that has had a huge effect on where they are right now is that Port or Thorne has developed uh you know this chemistry with these receivers, you know, they've had all offseason to uh practice these routes and I don't think it's just, you know, coincidence that he's making these plays in the game. They I know that Mel Tucker is prepping these guys um and they've I definitely think they've worked a lot in the off season. They've had the chance to do so. Um, like I said, I think that's proven to be a big difference uh, between this season and seasons prior. When you go back and look at the stats a little bit more, Michigan State, obviously, with another near 600-yard performance on offense. Spartans finished with 588 yards of total offense. In sharp comparison to Peyton Thorne, Noah Vigil, the former Nebraska transfer, or the former Nebraska Cornhusker, is 16-31 for 208 yards. Michigan State, and I think this was the most encouraging thing, we've talked about their struggles in the second half time and time again, especially giving Western Kentucky the opportunity to sort of weasel their way back into the game. And we've seen the team, it's kind of been off and on, like against Miami, you punched the Hurricanes in the face in the fourth quarter. But conversely against Northwestern, Wildcats probably had a bit of a better second half. Michigan State outscores Rutgers 10 to nothing in the second half. And I don't know what adjustments they made, but that entire second half, Rutgers did not look like a good football team. And that's impressive. Cal Holiday. That, that is true. But it's also impressive when you consider the fact Rutgers has all the momentum going into the locker room just because Matt Coglin missed the 35-yard field goal. And you go in, you come out in the third quarter, you know, it's a punt marathon, but for the longest time, it's a one-possession game. You're on the road. Rutgers is winning the field position game. And then in one play, Kenneth Walker runs for 94 yards, really cements Michigan State as sort of the front runner for the rest of the game, but... Michigan State did what they needed to do in the second half, and that was something I was watching closely going into that game, especially against Western Kentucky, where the, I guess you could say they took their foot off the gas a little bit against Western Kentucky and Bailey Zappi. 
I think the big thing for Michigan State, as you kind of mentioned, is keeping the foot on the gas. But I wasn't too worried about it because of the fact that most of those games that they had rough second halves, with the exception of Nebraska, they were up by a bunch, as you mentioned. And so that's kind of where my thoughts on it were. But this is not a perfect team. Michigan State is a very good football team, but they're not a team that is good enough to decide or to come into games and just lay an egg against a good team and still win. No, they're not. And my question for you as we transition into our next segment is what area of this team is most encouraging for you and what concerns you the most? And I'll go first. I love the defensive line. And I know that's kind of been the calling card for this Michigan State team for the longest period of time. I thought when you lost Drew Beasley, who in my opinion is probably the best pure pass rusher on this team, obviously you can make an argument for Jacob Slade or Jacob Panashuk, but just as a guy who, in terms of quickness, in terms of smarts, in terms of body angles, in terms of all of that, in terms of hip flexibility, I'm going to take Drew Beasley. Michigan State's going to go into Bloomington Tied for fifth in the country with 23 sacks. Simeon Barrow has two sacks. We saw Drew Jordan get in on the action. Maverick Hansen had that nice sack a couple weeks ago against Western Kentucky. He's rushing the passer better. This Spartan defensive line is deep. And that's not even considering the fact that Deshaun Mallory looks like he's going to be back in the fold. Michael Fletcher, Jeff Petrowski, who's got three and a half sacks. All of these guys can rush the passer. And they made life miserable for Noah Vidral. And the area that concerns me the most, again, it's the penalties. It's it's the shooting yourselves. In the, sometimes this team just has a complete lack of mental awareness. Like when it's third and 18, you flush Noah Vidral out of the pocket. And I don't know who is the corner on the far sideline. I don't know if it was Kimbrough or whatever. But they're looking too much at Vidral. Like, let him scramble. He's 18 yards away. You need to keep your eye on the receiver who's at the flipping sticks. He's not going to run 18 yards. I mean, if he runs eight or nine yards, fine. Then you go up and get him. But giving up two third and 18 plays is something that's not encouraging. You had a couple of personal foul penalties for better or for worse. I went back. I looked at the call at Jake on Jacob Pandeshuk. I thought the personal foul was weak. It was bad. I, I don't know what the Big Ten has against Michigan State. This is two weeks in a row now where the officiating has been pretty piss poor. But at the end of the day, this team needs to play a complete football game. And they've been able to overcome some of the lesser mistakes, the the penalties and the blown coverages on third and long. Might not kill you against Rutgers or even Indiana this week, but it will hurt you against Michigan, assuming that Cade McNamara proves that he can actually throw the, throw the ball beyond five yards. It will really hurt you against Penn State, and it will really hurt you against Ohio State. They can clean that stuff up. They're going to be a very good football team. Mel Tucker talked about it on Monday. Apparently, they, Michigan State's now moved their uh, media availability sessions to Mondays. They're calling it Monday Hashtag with Mel. Mondays with Mel. Yes. <laughs> they have not played a complete football game yet. If this team's first complete game when they're operating on all cylinders is against Ohio State or Penn State, watch out. This or is Michigan. a very good football team that has the potential to be a great football team. Um. Yeah, I think the the penalties definitely is probably the most obvious uh, answer in terms of um, you know what, the biggest concern with this team right now. And I think without those penalties and them shooting themselves in the foot, I firmly believe that game looks a lot more like Ohio State's beatdown on Rutgers um, because take away those penalties in the first half and there should have been a lot more scoring. Um, 
Rutgers wouldn't have been able to uh, convert on those third downs. Um, in terms of most encouraging, I thought even though you know it is Rutgers and yeah they had a poor second half performance, but I think it was huge that instead of seeing a Michigan State team that was uh, lacking in defensive performance in the second half this week, uh, it was the other way around where uh, their defense really came alive and shut Rutgers out in the second half. And uh, I think it's always great to see improvement after halftime. That's kind of what we've been looking for for this team instead of them coming out and kind of letting up against these inferior opponents. Um, but And then one other concern is the secondary. I mean, too many times these these plays should be dead, but these quarterbacks are able to make something out of nothing, and they just need to, you know, contain on their assignments, stay in their coverage, and it's it's not happening. That's that's going to be a concern going down the road. Agreed. But I think for me, the biggest area that has impressed me has been this offense is just how electric they are. And that's something, I guess, from growing up in this area, watching Michigan State teams, you just you don't expect to see this type of offense. And the number of ways this team can beat you is by far the most encouraging thing because it's not just one thing. So if a team has a if a team has a really good run defense, Michigan State can beat them through the air. If the team can lock down on the outside with their corners, Michigan State can beat them on the ground. That's the most encouraging thing for me. The biggest concern for me is going to be more geared towards the game in a couple of weeks than the game this Saturday. But for the Michigan game, I'm curious to see what Michigan State can do when they're playing teams like Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State with a team that has equal amounts of speed and talent. Michigan State, when they remade themselves in the transfer portal, the only team they've played that has matched their level of athleticism and speed and talent is Miami. And Miami is an absolute mess right now, albeit without De'Eric King, who's out for the season with a shoulder injury suffered against Michigan State, they're a mess. The Spartans have yet to play a team. One, they've yet to play a team with a winning record. And two, they've yet to play a team that has their level of athletes. So I'm very curious to see how they respond to that. And I guess that's the biggest concern. But overall, it's been a very impressive start for the Spartans. Well, and I again, a lot of this is nitpicking because you are Agreed. six and zero, and you've what five over five out of your six wins have come by at least seventeen points. But this is where I lie. You're never going to be a perfect team. Ohio State, they all have things they can improve on. You're six and zero. You make the argument of oh, Michigan State, and I, I know this isn't you. I know this is what people. Well, they haven't played a team with a winning record. Well, guess what? You are what your record says you are. You're 3-0 in conference. You have three road wins. And in the games you're supposed to win, you are not squeaking by. You are thoroughly dominating people. They beat Rutgers by 18, but could have easily won by 28. Easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't, if, you can, if you're able to punch it in that first drive after getting some things going and you don't have the silly miscues, because that third and 18 conversion, that first one, immediately led to the Noah, to the Johnny Langan end around. I don't know who scored that first touchdown. Uh, Pacheco. Or whoever it was, but yeah, I think it was Crookshank. Anyway, it 
once this team plays a complete game of football, and that means not shooting yourself, I mean, there's always going to be some degree of mental error. That's just how football is. But the day that this team plays as close to a perfect game as possible, they are going to be scary. Nobody had them going into Piscataway and winning by 18. I don't think anybody did. I did. I know you guys didn't. It's starting to feel like something special could happen in East Lansing this year. Now, is it too early to talk about Heisman stuff and Big Ten East stuff? Yes, I think it is. But it's not too early to start talking about eight, nine, ten wins. You're halfway through the year now. I mean, this isn't week two or week three. You are firmly in Big Ten play. And if you take care of business against an Indiana team that's been disorganized all year, that doesn't have their starting quarterback, might not have Taiwan Mullen, who was a healthy, or he wasn't a healthy scratch, who was a scratch in pregame warmups against Penn State, who knows? This is a game Indiana going forward, and we'll get into this a little bit made uh, a little bit later, but that you should win. And frankly, come October 30th, just to give you guys a little preview for those of you who have either been living under a rock or don't possess the same amount of college football gusto that the three of us possess, not only is Michigan State playing Michigan in East Lansing that day, but Penn State is trailing to the shoe, and that's going to be separation Saturday in the East. That's when you're going to separate the men from the boys. It's also going to be national mourn for the couches of East Lansing Day. That's exactly what I put. We'll get to that in the... <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, well, in the, um, oh, what is it? The Oh, the powerhouses? Yeah. The, is that your memorial powerhouse frame of the week? Yes, that is. That is. For Mine, I've got different... some funny ones for these this week. I, I went in all in with the sarcasm for my three, so I'm ready for those. But I'm fully expecting Michigan State and Michigan to be undefeated in both in the top 10 come October 30th. As we transition over to some Big Ten games from last weekend, Michigan squeaks over Nebraska 32-29 to in Lincoln after Adrian Martinez self-implodes. I feel so bad for Nebraska because I have never, I shouldn't say I never have, but I really would have to sit back and canvas my brain to think of the last time where you see a team that is so good at getting right there, like inches away from victory and choking it away time and time and time and time again. Like I, I, Is Scott Frost the dead man in Lincoln or what are you guys thinking? I don't know if he's going to be fired or not, but... Uh... Yeah, you knew they were going to lose that football game. I still think Adrian Martinez had probably had his forward progress stopped on that ball that he fumbled. But, I mean, there's nothing you can, like, there's no review for that because the play wasn't blown dead. But either way, you knew they were going to find a way to lose that game. When Hassan Haskins hurdles your safety while the guy's coming in to tackle him and, like, straight hurdles over him, yeah, you knew that game was over. Penn State falls to Iowa 23-20 to after Penn State starting quarterback Sean Clifford goes out due to injury. I think we can all agree if Clifford stays healthy that game, Penn State wins that game. They were up 17-3, to and I think they were outgaining them like 240-80. Yes. to but non- I mean, they were non- smoking them. Nonetheless, nonetheless, that's a loss in conference for Penn State. And if they, in two weeks, go down to the shoe and lose, they're pretty much done in the Big Ten East race. And somebody had to play Iowa this year. The rest of the Big Ten West is an absolute is an absolute bleat fest, but I was the one team that nobody wants to play right now in Penn State just by the virtue of the scheduling gods kind of got shafted this year. Not really, but, you know, it's just a tough, tough draw for the Nittany Lions. Ohio State spanks Maryland 66-17. to Wisconsin beats Illinois 24 to nothing, and Northwestern Purdue, Indiana, and Minnesota were off. Well, Zach, you talked about it. You mentioned it. 
And in about a couple minutes here, we will have the Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week. But first, for our Offensive and Defensive Players of the Week, this week's category is the SRZ Seaweed Monster Man Offensive Player of the Week. And I know that makes absolutely no sense, but let's say that Nathan was writing this while watching a certain program from um many years ago that children that people his age should probably not be delighting in but um you know think of all the memes that i have okay that i show you guys. i was like i'm pretty sure i know what this is but i was kind of i needed that little bit when you mentioned the memes but in all seriousness i got to give a special recommendation to zach zach kills out of texas a&m's quarterback that was 21 for 31 285 yards three scores in that 41 to 38 win over alabama he gets hurt, comes back. I mean, I thought when they took him out, it looked like he was done done. He's limping off the sideline, and I don't know if it was a hip pointer. It looked like he was grabbing his hip. But either way, that was a gutsy performance. Mackenzie Milton-esque in that first week of college football where Florida State comes all the way back and then finds a way to blow it against Notre Dame. But that shook up the college football picture. And they don't win that game without a performance from the ages for Calzada and I think he just realized when you have 100,000 fans and the supposed 12th man there, your health be your health be damned. You have an opportunity to knock off maybe the best football team in the country other than Georgia, and that's exactly what you did. Uh, my pick is Florida quarterback Emory Jones threw for 272 passing yards and four touchdowns, just 14 completions. Uh, and Florida absolutely whooped Vanderbilt, forty-two nothing. I've got to do it. I've got to go with uh, Kenneth Walker and Jalen Naylor's handshake. Who's Kenneth Walker? I don't know. K nine, don't you mean K? That was the best part of his Tuesday press conference. Audrey Dahlgren. Oh, that was so funny. Him, Audrey Dahlgren asked Mal, "Well, are we going to see Walker?" doing a little bit more receiving stuff like he did out of the backfield against Miami when he had that uh, little intermediate yeah. crossing route over the middle and he catches the ball in the flat and dives for the near pylon. And he goes, you want to see K-9 catch some balls? I tell you, he's got some really good hands. I'm like, okay, Mel. He, it was really funny, but no, yeah. go ahead. Um, but no, those two guys both had phenomenal performances this week. And um, I kind of, I'll, t- I'll say... I kind of had two that I was between for the powerhouse frame of the week. So I put this as the offensive player of the week and put the other one as the frame of the week. Um, But yeah, those guys both were phenomenal. So I'm cheating and using both of them and justifying it by the fact that they shook hands on the play. So they are now one and I can use them both. All right. Transitioning into our next category of the week. (laughs) This is the SRZ Zach is nicer than me defensive player of the week, according to Margaret over at the... How many Rutgers. different names have you given her this podcast? Well, I, I can't do Karen. Karen's unoriginal. It's, trying to think. it's Margaret, name? it's Martha, it's... Bertha. Bertha, um, no! Svetlana. Um, What's my grandmother's? Uh, Bernice. Judy. Um, okay. I went with Simeon Barrow just because if you go back and watch the tape, Cedric Paylot on the left side of that Rutgers offensive line at left guard... He had one of the worst games I have ever seen. I mean, he is getting bull rushed every time Noah Vidral has a three or five step drop. You want to talk about an offensive lineman being on roller skates and thrown right into the middle of Vidral's back? Oh, I mean, 
barrel had two sacks you had the forced fumble that was huge and then jacob display in the most prodigious display of human athleticism i've ever seen picks up the football after it bounces up in the air like one of those super balls that my parents used to play with like have you ever seen like one of those super balls whatever where you like throw it and it goes like 40 feet up in the air and then Mm -hmm. goes over your house until your cranky neighbor fills yard and you never see it again what Uh, what is this this is a story for another day zach that's what it is no but, i just mean in general like i don't know what you i've never seen there's, any a, there's a it, it was an old toy from about 30 or 40 years ago it's, it's called a bouncing super ball, ball but it's... It, it like it bounces so far <laughs> Can hit an here. airplane like i mean it is so <laughs> that's like, why we had to turn around on our way back from uh <laughs> chicago and go in circles to lansing airport was because there was a super ball in the air yeah yeah that, that's why it wasn't it wasn't because some numb skull was going through a joyride and clogging up the <laughs> skies right above the airport yeah that, that wasn't it at all on a beautiful <laughs> sunday afternoon but simeon barrow is a guy who i think a lot of us thought was going to be a really good rotational piece on that defensive line but i didn't see him getting more reps than deshaun May- i mean mallory's back and they're easing him in but even when he was pretty healthy against northwestern you saw barrow play more Barrow, and you probably could put Maverick Hansen in the same category. That interior Spartan defensive line is not. It might be the deepest position group this team has, and maybe one of the three or four best interior defensive line groups in the Big Ten. We knew Jacob Slade was going to be good. Jacob Slade was good last year and started next to Naquan Jones, but it's been the other guys. And then, obviously, with Deshaun Mallory getting healthier, that just adds to that rotation of Hansen and Barrow and Slade and. All of these other guys, and Michael Fletcher, who sometimes will get reps as an outside three type, but big, big props to Simeon Barrow because he put that Rutgers interior offensive line on roller skates time and time again. So I'm going Jacob Slade. He had a great game and all of that, but as Stearns mentioned, I could have put Slade for my offensive player of the week just for that run. I mean, that was just... Rumble, big man, rumble. When you said that on the broadcast, that was hilarious. Somebody said that Michigan State had a Heisman moment and a Peisman moment. So Peisman is like a Twitter, I don't know, they have a Twitter account and they run a thing and they like call themselves the award for like the best like big men touchdown. And so like he gets the football, he starts running down the field. I was, we're on the call of the game and Stearns, while in the middle of his play-by-play call, Stearns is like, rumble big man. And I was just like, bro, (laughs) that was great. And so, but in all seriousness, Stern's already touched on it a lot, but Jacob Slade getting this pick is more than just the fumble recovery. Jacob Slade had a really good game on the inside of that defensive line, and he also contributed to those guards having really, really rough games for Rutgers as Slade and Barrow just destroyed the interior of that Rutgers offensive line. All right, in the final category Whoa. for this. Oh, you got to go? I got to go. I sometimes forget you're here. <laughs> um, mine is... Uh... Arizona State's Tyler Johnson, who had a heck of a game. He had five tackles and two sacks. Stanford's line just cannot hold him. Um, number 18, Arizona State. They, uh, they won 28 to 10. All right, now I can go in the Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week. I put couches in East Lansing, and this isn't for this week. This isn't for next week. As Zach alluded to earlier, this is for three weeks from now. Because as much as I try not to be in the business of oh, if this happens, then this happens. And if the meteor falls from the sky and we get the moon to crumble in the Pacific Ocean and if San Francisco rises up by 15 feet, you know, all the other Matrix stuff that normal people do, it's exciting for me to think, just as a student broadcaster in my last go-round, that in 
two weeks, we could be calling like an eight versus six game. And whoever wins that game is going to be right there with Ohio State for the Big Ten East crown. Because Michigan State wins that game, you know, I'm not going to preview it too much, but Michigan State wins that game, they're staring at a 10-0 record. I'll tell you right now, they're be- if they beat Michigan, they're not losing to Purdue on the road in Maryland at home. It ain't happening. You will be 10-0. And couches in East Lansing and certain um, 18-plus so- adult establishments will be on fire either due to unbelievable jubilation or unbelievable sorrow. Either way, there will be property damage, vandalism, alcoholic bottles in places where you didn't think alcoholic places should be. It will be a night for the ages. Last year, my buddy Steven comes up from Kalamazoo. He's a Western Michigan student. Eric and I are calling the game in the conference room at the state. That was not fun. Yeah, I was on the board for that game. But we go nuts after... Michigan after MSU after being 24, 23 point underdog, something like that, wins the game. Go to Trent's house after our sports editor. We come back, Luke, Steven, and I, and there's just like this massive fight out in front of one of these group houses that we live across. Won't get into the particular details. Let's just say that I've never seen 20 East Lansing cop cars in a one row, in one road at one time. And if. If you're going to have in-person fans, it's going to be a long night for ELPD. Buckle up, boys. This is what you get your money for. It's time to rock and roll. Make sure the pepper spray grenades are ready to go. Let's go. Well, and you got Halloween the next night, too. Um, Oh, then I got to interview Kevin Warren on November 1st. God bless it. That's going to be a fun weekend. What is it with couches? I don't know why. And I'm from here. I don't get it. But that's beside the point. My powerhouse frame unit of the week is an interesting story. And I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are as fellow student media. Oklahoma student media, I don't know if you guys heard this story yet or not. It came out today. They went, and so Oklahoma has a quarterback controversy right now with Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. And Caleb Williams came in and led their comeback against Texas. And so... Oklahoma Daily, OU Daily, the Oklahoma student newspaper, goes up to a public building, goes up to the top of it, and gets binoculars and watches practice and counts the snaps of who's going to get it, reports it, gets some quotes from people, talk to Spencer Rattler's dad, and they put out this story. Well, it wasn't an open to the media practice, but they were on the, they were in a public building. And so... What happens with it, and the reason why it became another reason it became such a big story, Lincoln Riley canceled all their media availabilities. Yes. After that happened. And so it's a big hot topic. And I mainly put this here because I'm curious on your guys' thoughts. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting that uh, immediately Lincoln Riley said, nope, we're done. And also, they're probably not getting access to anything again. And so was it worth Was it worth it? <laughs> Um, how do I put this bluntly? Lincoln Riley and the entire Oklahoma athletic department are getting their panties on in a lot and having a complete and utter malfunction. The way that, um, I don't, there was some reporter that they closed off. If I remember correctly, they closed off media availability after the game because the rumor is Lincoln Riley didn't want people asking about the quarterback controversy. Oh yeah. And they didn't, uh, 
because Holly Rowe wanted to interview yes. Caleb Williams and after the game for ESPN, and Lincoln Riley said no, and he didn't allow her to do it, and so she went out and apologized to people about it. Well, and you know why? I mean, you you know why they're canceling their media availability session. It's petty. It's juvenile. It's we don't want to. They're worried the media is going to start something or stir some sort of non-existent quarterback controversy. At least that's probably the PR line that they're going with. But you don't cancel a media availability session three hours after it's supposed to start because then you leave everybody in the dark. You screw over the media that covers you. I think it's petty. I think it's juvenile. I think they should be ashamed of themselves. And I don't fault the student newspaper. Um, you got to do what you got to do to get a story now. Would I have done it? No, I probably wouldn't have. As a student newspaper, you don't have quite as many quotas to answer to. I don't know if they're a tax-funded revenue service like you know we are, like the state news is. Why does that matter? Because we get paid either way. We don't get paid on clicks. We don't get paid on advertising. We don't get paid on revenue. We get paid by the university. So we have a consistent stream of income. So you don't need the story quite as bad. But at the same token, all of this could would have... All of this could be avoided if you did what you're supposed to do and what a normal little functioning athletic department could do. I think it's horse crap. I really do. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking for the for the newspaper, um, I just I think that's just something you kind of steer away from. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was leaning. Like, it's I think it's good journalism, but I also think for me, like, I had to ponder the question: like, is it worth it? Because you're probably not getting any more access. Right. To this now that that's happened. So is it really, was it really worth it? Right. And like Stern said, I mean, they're not, they don't have a quota. They're not, you know, reaching for clicks. Well, I mean, they might be. We don't know. But maybe, but most likely not. Still, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a student na- newspaper, you know, I mean, you, you want to try to be more ethical than anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just, it's, that's a major overreaction for a student newspaper that's just trying to do their job. And frankly, Oklahoma's athletic department needs to get its head out of the sand. So you know, go pound sand. I guess, I, think- I guess I don't know this. I was under the understanding that the media availabilities for the rest of this time were canceled after that story came out, like in response to that. I don't know for sure. I could be misunderstanding what I read earlier, but I think that's what I saw was that they canceled the media availabilities in response to that Oklahoma or that post for that story. And like they went up to the building and watched practice and then they put out this story. And then they, after that Riley canceled all the media availabilities because he was mad that that came out. Well, I don't know. And I don't really think it's that big of a deal either right. way. I yeah. mean, I think it's a gross over. I don't think that really changed. I mean, no, it's, I don't think they should cancel it either way though. I mean, right? I don't, I, I don't think you. it's, I think that's, you know, kind of irrelevant, but uh, Aiden, why don't we go over to you? Cause we're, um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll make it quick. Mine is uh, Texas A and M. It was super exciting to watch that game with these guys. We uh, it was worth staying up, even though we had uh, to be up at four thirty for what was our flight eight eight twenty two eight twenty. But it's Newark Airport, which means you need like six hours in advance because yeah. they take forever. But it was well worth staying up and watching it. Um. Down goes Bama. Yeah, I was going to say, I was mad. They, after the Nebraska game ended, I'm like, Michigan's going to find a way to win this game. And I stayed up all of this for nothing. I give 
A&M credit because they made staying up an extra 45 minutes actually worth it. If Bama finds a way to win that game, it's like, oh, great, we watched two games where the outcome could have been predicted. Yeah, it was entertaining, but at the end of the day, absolutely nothing changed. This week in the Big Ten, Nebraska travels to Minnesota, Rutgers travels to Northwestern, Purdue travels to number two, Iowa, Army travels to Wisconsin, while Ohio State, Michigan, Maryland, Illinois are off, and Michigan State will have their bye week next week. Does anybody know what happened? College teams used to have two bye weeks. What happened to that? Like, why is there only one now? Like, am I am I completely insane? There used to be two bye weeks. There did used to be. I don't know why. So... I think that it has to do with um, when the season starts and, like, the length of the season now. But I'm not 100%. Because college championship games didn't used to be a thing, or conference championship games didn't used to be a thing. And so that last week was a game and not a championship game. And so I think that when that happened, that took away a bye week. But I could be completely wrong. That's just kind of what I think I remember. Because, like... When the Big Ten had a co- had a championship game and the SEC and all of them did, but the Big Twelve didn't, the Big Twelve would play their last regular season game on the that Saturday, and so I think that's what happened. Regardless, I mean, I like it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think too. you need to. No, weeks. neither do I. Neither do I. It just kind of thing adds up more unnecessary length breaks in the season. Now we move on to the. Indiana Hoosiers, and as I put last week, one thing I'm doing when I edit these documents is if there's a sentiment from one week to another that I think is similar, I don't delete it because less work is... That was the best piece of advice that my economics professor, Jeff Kazee, ever gave to me in high school was works or like people say work smarter not harder but like whenever i'd be lazy or i wouldn't do my homework or i'd be a complete whatever he's like oh i'm not too mad at you you're just being economical and finding a way of you know you're trying to do the minimal amount of work with the least amount of effort which is something that all humans should, should strive for but in all seriousness this is a very winnable game for me now indiana on paper scares me a little bit more than Rutgers does not even because, you know, Michael Penix being out is massive. Yes, he had four or four touchdowns, seven interceptions before we're, he got hurt. What? We're assuming he's out, right? He's, Tom, he, he, Ellen said he's out. See, he went on Monday and said he was out. See, now we kind of backtracked on that today. He, he's out. He, he, says, out. he says he's week to week, and we'll find out at kickoff with a smile. He's, in he's, not, he's not playing. I, I mean, agree. But I mean, you had the separated shoulder, the AC joint, and mm-hmm. it's he, I, he said on Monday – He's not playing. I don't think you backtrack that and then say he plays. Assuming that Michael Penix is out, that's a second-team All-Big Ten selection a year ago that led you to a 6-1 and one performance of the Big Ten, led you to a top-15 rating at the end of the year, led you to crush Michigan State at home 24 to nothing a year ago. And it's Jack Tuttle season, folks, the former four-star who was a Utah Ute once upon a time. Not sure if Taiwan Mullen plays. He was a scratch before the Penn State game. Two big guys that scare me are Ty, Fro- Ty Freifogelbat and Peyton Hendershot, who both can beat you in a variety of ways. No, Indiana doesn't have Watt Fillior anymore. He went to the NFL. But I don't know if Michigan State's played a tight end like Hendershot. I mean, this kid can play. Yeah, I mean, the closest that they've seen would be Austin Allen at uh, Nebraska. 6'9 tight end. He makes the game a lot harder for a lot of people. But... Yeah, Hendershot's good. Um, that's going to be a tough matchup. But I think that that's why you bring in a guy like Quavars Crouch. 
sideline to sideline linebacker, and he can move. He's athletic. But honestly, I think Cal Holiday is going to be the biggest piece in that because he's been their best linebacker in coverage so far. On the season, Peyton Hendershot leading the Hoosiers in receiving. He has 21 catches for 274 yards. In 2019, he set an Indiana single-season tight end tight end record with 52 catches, 622 yards, also had four scores and started in all 13 games. Ty Freifogel, though, is the big play guy for the Hoosiers. 26 catches for 272 yards on the season. Last year, led the team with 720 receiving yards, which is the fourth-best mark in the conference. Third-team All-American, first-team All-Big Ten selection. Remember how he had 11 receptions for 200 yards and two scores against Michigan State? Him and Watt fill your head a field day. So, like, from a one, other than Charleston Rambo at Miami, I think he is the best receiver, the singular best wide receiver that Michigan State's played all year. I really do. I don't know who you can say who's better. Like, am I, am I, am I just... I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, yeah, because Melton wasn't there. At Rutgers. Even still, I wouldn't take Bo Melton out of Yeah, I wouldn't either. I'm just trying to think of the different. I mean, Kurtz is solid. Stefan Robinson's solid, but they're not Fry Fogel. Um, Jarrah Stearns is pretty good. I still think Fry Fogel might be better, but Jarrah Stearns is pretty damn good. I was going to say, it's just hard to judge because one guy's in CUSA and the other's in the Big Ten. So there's yeah. that. Oh, level definitely. Of like I said, yeah. I'll take Fry Fogel, but that's, he's probably. Up there, and then obviously Charleston Rambo, as you mentioned. Obviously, you also got to watch out for Stephen Carr, the USC transfer that's now RB number one at Indiana. He has some talent, but I think his overall career has been a bust. I mean, this was a five-star out of high school that was one of the 25 best recruits in his class. And, I mean, you look you look at the stats in 2019 at 396 rushing yards, 72 carries, 81 carries, for 384 yards in 2018, he's got 380 yards uh, roughly so far this year. He's a good running back, but he's not played like a five-star all year. He's not played like a five-star, frankly, since he's been in college. But this is the game where Tuttle has to be what you would call a game manager. Get the ball, get the ball to Freifogel, get the ball to Carr, get the ball to Hendershot and let them make plays. This game worries me. Indiana's rested. Indiana's backed into a corner. I mean, you lose this game, you're two and four. You need this game to get back on the bull track. This is a good football team that has explosive playmakers and the backfield outside. And if Tuttle can get Hendershot or can get Freifogel the ball, MSU could be in some trouble. And Indiana still has to play Ohio State and Michigan after this. So they would be in a spot where if they lose this game, they would have to win out to win out besides those three top 10 games to get to six and six. And this is a team that was ranked in the preseason number 14, I think somewhere in the 12 to 14 range. I mean, Indiana was a top team in the country expected coming into this season. I thought they were going to be the biggest challenger to Ohio State in the Big Ten East. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, they're not even... There's four Big Ten East teams in the top ten, and Indiana's not one of them. Well, I think it, this is a game they need. And Penix being out changes the dynamic of it if he's out. But this is still a very talented Indiana team. You can't look 
over this Indiana team or you will get beat. And this is what's hard for me to evaluate about. You look at the record without digging deeper. Obviously, Indiana goes down to Western Kentucky, wins 33 to 31, takes care of business against Idaho. Their three losses this year are against three top 10 teams. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Cincinnati. They lost to Penn State. Newsflash, I think, at on a neutral field at both, all things considered, and all three teams are healthy, I think Michigan State probably loses to all three of those teams. Maybe give Cincinnati a run for their money. So it's not like they're they're losing to Holy Cross or the Fighting Toothpaste or Barton Scotia. They, they haven't beaten anybody but the teams they've lost who are all in the running for a spot in the college football playoff. And if the playoff ended today, Iowa would make it. And, and so would Cincinnati. Cincinnati's right there on that on that edge, you know, teetering on the line, it'd either be them or Michigan or anyway, I digress. So it really just comes down to getting after Jack Tuttle, making him uncomfortable in the pocket, letting Jacob Panashuk and Simeon Barrow and Drew Jordan go to town against an inexperienced Indiana offensive line. One thing that I do need to see more from, and it might, again, it might not beat them or hurt them this week against Indiana because I think top down they have more talent. You need to start seeing more from your tight ends. Where has Connor Hayward and Tyler ben, Tyler Hunt been the last three weeks? Hunt had two catches for 20 yards against Miami. Hayward had that nice leaping grab against Nebraska where he basically truck-sticked a couple corners, but you need to start getting like the fourth receiving option. Not a guy who's going to go for 80 yards every game, but a guy who you can pencil in for 40, 50 yards. Because outside of Mosley, Naylor, Reed, and Walker, and granted, that's four more offensive weapons than some teams have, but ideally you'd like to start seeing something from your tight ends or some combination of Terry Lockett, Christian Fitzpatrick, Keon Coleman. Somebody needs to start stepping up in toward the latter half of that depth chart at the receiver spot. You wonder how you know that Michigan State is really good this year? that that's the nitpicking that we're doing at this point in the season. Like, we're looking for a fifth option. Since when has Michigan State offensively even had two options this good? Or three options this good? You want to see that, and I agree with you, but it just goes to show you how talented this Michigan State team really is. I I do think it's critical still because I talked about last week how they've been so reliant on these big plays. Um, but I think, you know, if you can get these tight ends going and, um, you know, get the short passing game going and start to march the field, you know, you won't, you won't be stuck in those positions where, you know, you're, you're throwing down, you're looking downfield. And I mean, MSU was 0 for 1 in the red zone last week. Actually, I think they were 1 for 2 because of the late field goal. But either way, all their points they scored were on big plays. Mm-hmm. So you've got a point there. Well, and again, as you and Zach, I give you credit for bringing this up in the past. The opportunities are there. You can't stop Walker, Reed, and Naylor. But you can maybe take one or two of them out of the equation. Rutgers did a good job, I thought, on the outside. Christian Ezian and Trey Avery, when he was lined up against Reed, did a good job of making Jaden Reed a non-factor. Again, three receptions, 29 yards. Was a non-factor in the punt return game. Didn't do a lot. But you still, you couldn't take care of Jalen Naylor and Kenneth Walker. You, on a, a good defense, might be able to take those two guys. So let's say you take Walker out of the equation and you take Reed out of the equation and you have Naylor. Trey Mosley's good, but who's going to be your third option? You sent Connor Hayward at tight end because he's supposed to have better hands and better catching ability than Tyler Hunt, Trenton Gillis, and any of those guys. 
When he was still a running back, Michigan State used him on a lot of 30 short stuff, wheel route stuff out of the backfield. He had a receiving touchdown on a screen pass last year against Michigan, but he's not a great blocking tight end, and you know, that's not his fault. He, he got penciled in there at the worst possible time, but my question is, you know, after the nice start, I would like to see more tunnel screen stuff. That's what killed Miami. It, you, you had the nice catch that he had rumbling down the sideline and he's been good for about three catches for you know 15 to 20 yards he had the nice third and intermediate catch where he's stumbling along the near sideline and falls out of bounds but ideally you'd like to see a little bit more at the end of the day again Zach's absolutely right it's really just Nick picking at this point the bottom line is you should win this game Indiana however is a talented team and I think frankly they have more weapons they're probably better coached and they they're just all around a more explosive team than Michigan than, State. Than Rutgers. Oh, no, not, okay. no, not that Michigan State. No, that Rutgers. But you would think that this bye week, they're going to be rested. They're going to be healthy. Perhaps it gave them a chance to reset, reevaluate, you know, take stock of our goals are still in front of us. You know, we might not be in the running anymore for a big 10 East title, but we're still in the running for a bowl game. We win this game, we're back to 500. You know, we're back to playing with house money. We still have a chance. There's still a lot out in front for this Indiana football team. They had the chance to reset, catch their breath, kind of do the program restarting thing that you do on your computer when your Mac dies because you were running it for 15 hours in a row and you almost blew out your electrical alley because you've been charging it for so long. Again, that's another story for another day, but, you know, this game does worry me a little bit. But if you do what you're supposed to do, You'll head into East Lansing on Sunday morning. You'll have two weeks to prepare, and you will most likely be facing off with an undefeated Michigan Wolverines bunch. But for now, we are going to get to the final segment of our weekly SRZ podcast episodes, the pick'em. And I apologize to all of the loyal listeners who normally like when I throw in some ranked game. It's hard this week because the the slate this week is pretty pitiful. Other than Oklahoma State and Texas and Kentucky and Georgia, there's really not a lot of games. So I did a bunch of Big Ten games, and I threw in another kicker game that I think... Um, He's trying to you know, throw us off. Yeah, well, and when you want to start writing the document, have fun. All right. I was, first I'd, game, I'd like I, to note first that Aiden Champion has come back. I was um, going to try to sweep that under the rug. He won't <laughs> let me. Yeah, well, I, I had a feeling you would, so I need to uh, <laughs> need to help myself out here. I uh, I am now tied with Stearns at 15 and 20. Still not great, but you know what? You're coming for me? <sighs> yeah. I've got, the five, I've got the five-game lead. Tw- we, I've had a couple. Like, every week 20 it's and been 15. between, like, three and five and two and four. Like, I'm, Van- I, I'm a mix of Vanderbilt and Kansas football, and it hurts my head. No, if you were a mix of Vanderbilt and Kansas football, you would have one win a season, if that. Neither of those teams are football teams that belong at the FBS level. That's beside the point, though. All right. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State travels to Texas. Oklahoma State, four-point favorites. Guys, no. who do we like in this one? OK State's four-point dogs. What did like. I say? Did I say four-point favorites? Yeah, but you have it right in the dock. Yeah, well, I sometimes can't write my... I can't <laughs> read my own handwriting. All right, let's start this one over. Oklahoma State, four-point underdogs as they travel to Austin to take on Texas. Who do we like, Aiden Champion? I think that line is a little too narrow. I have... I'm going to go with Texas here. Um, Texas to cover? Okay. All right. I'm going to go with Tejas outright. I still don't know how they managed to inexplicably blow it against 
Oklahoma. Haven't been impressed with Oklahoma State all year. When you beat Missouri, when you beat Missouri State by seven and Boise State by one and Baylor by ten and Tulsa by five, they've been they've been skating by their skin of their teeth quite a bit like Oklahoma. And I think this is the week they kind of get blown back to reality. Zach, I'm back and forth on this pick. Um, I kind of want to pick Oklahoma State, but I think that the spread is pretty close and. I've got a five-game lead, so I'll stick with the pack here. All right. Next game on our docket for Wednesday, October 13th, number 11, Kentucky. 22-point underdogs as they travel to Georgia. I've gone back and forth on this one, too, because I don't think Kentucky's nearly as good as Georgia. And it's such a big spread, but give me the Bulldogs. I know this is going to come back to bite me in the butt. I picked against them last week. I thought Auburn would be able to cover I don't know, it was, eight, it was an 18, 19 point mm-hmm. spread with Auburn at home. Not a big Kentucky fan. I've not been impressed. They beat Chattanooga by five, beat Florida, who's okay, by seven, beat South Carolina by six. There's been a lot of ucky, yucky play. Not okay. I don't know what ucky means. <laughs> you know, it's my own language that I'm making up, apparently. But no, I got to go Georgia here. I also uh, am going to have Georgia covering here. You know, it's been a been a good run for Kentucky but I think they uh think they're going to get blown out big time. Give me the Wildcats. Okay. Um that's going to come back to bite me in the same way that when I picked Arkansas to cover against Georgia, but these are the things that uh that you can do when you inexplicably get off to a good start, you can blow it by picking games you know you shouldn't. Um Kentucky will not win this game, but I think they might cover because one of these weeks Georgia's going to have an off game, and a team's going to cover. And so I'm thinking that this might be the week. All right. Her first dissension of this week's pick. I'm Rutgers, two-point favor or what is that? Two-point underdogs. Nope, yeah, favorites. Two point favorites. Why? I, I, my two. head hurts. My head hurts. <laughs> I hate math. Rutgers, two-point favorites as they travel to Ryan Field to take on Northwestern. I'll start. Give me the Scarlet Knights. Northwestern's awful. And when your number one wideout option is Bryce Curse and Stephon Robinson, I don't trust the, I don't trust Northwestern at all. Scarlet Knights are three and three on the season, but they played maybe the three best teams in the Big Ten, with the exception of Iowa. I think Rutgers easily wins this one here. Yeah, I'm taking. Oh goodness, can't talk today. I am taking Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers is the much better team. Minus two really surprises me. I don't trust Northwestern's quarterback situation at all. I don't really trust Northwestern anywhere on the field. Give me Rutgers. And I'll say Rutgers as well. Um, nothing uh, nothing promising that's really going for Northwestern right now. And I, uh, I think after last week, Rutgers will look to kind of take advantage of playing a lesser opponent. Well, I was gonna say their their schedule was really, really front loaded. Like they got some tough, tough. Yeah. They had some tough, tough guys playing Michigan State, play, having to go to Ann Arbor, playing Ohio State. But it does get quite a bit easier for them. The Purdue Boilermakers. I don't. I put Purdue at eleven point five at number two Iowa. Purdue travels to Kinnick to take on the number two ranked Iowa Hawkeyes. Purdue currently eleven and a half point underdogs. <sighs> Give me Purdue. Ooh, and. This, I think Iowa's going to go down. This seems like one of those prototypical trap games where Iowa doesn't seem like they're particularly interested a week after the emotional pinnacle that was beating Penn State, and they end up winning it like 
27 to 17 or I don't know. Iowa and Purdue have a history of just playing some really ugly, just kind of act games. And Purdue's a really good at not, they're not good at winning games, but they're really good at making it ugly for the other team and then still losing by five. I just, I don't know. I feel like this is another game, kind of like the Colorado State Iowa game, where on paper, if Iowa looks like they actually care, they should win this game by three scores. Still not convinced on that Hawkeye offense with Spencer Petrus. Iowa or Iowa's not going to lose this game, but I do think Purdue covers. So you've got a good point, and I agree with you. But I think Iowa needs this game. Iowa needs to look impressive because Iowa doesn't play another ranked team the rest of the season. So Iowa is going to need to come through and look big in these Big Ten West games against opponents they should beat up on. And I think this right here is another Maryland-style beatdown that Iowa puts on Purdue. That's a good point. Um, yeah, give me Iowa. Um, I think they're excited. Just moved up to number two, and um, like you said, Zach, I I do think they're gonna take this game more seriously, and um, I think they should cover. Nebraska three and a half point favorites as they trail to Minnesota. Aiden, over to you. Um, give me the Huskers. Um, I. Th- you know, I've been saying it all season, but I, uh, they're they're a lot better than their record says, um, and I think I think that that line is that's too small. But what do I know? But yeah, give me Nebraska cover. I one thousand percent agree. Uh, Nebraska wins this game, and Nebraska needs this game because they still have, I believe, Penn State and Ohio State. No, not. Ohio State, or not Penn State. They have Ohio State and Iowa, and they're already at four losses. You lose another game, you're not making a bowl game without beating one of those two teams. I think Nebraska needs this game. They go on the road. Minnesota is without both of their top two running backs. I think the Huskers win this game. Give me Nebraska. One of these games they're going to have to win. One of these games, (laughs) it's like, okay. You would think so. so. You're good. You're good. You're good. Don't worry, Catton. We'll buff out those scratches. I'm going to go with Nebraska here, too. I think top down, they're the better football team. P.J. Fleck dresses like a used car salesman, and it bothers me greatly. But without <laughs> Ibrahim and, you know, without the without some of their other offensive weapons, I can't see a scenario in which Minnesota wins that game. Nebraska's pissed off, man. That's a good football team that can't get out of their own way. Three for three, give me the Huskers. Back to the Big Eight. All right. Ball State, one point. Yeah. Give me a sec. Ball, Ball State, one-point favorites as they travel to Ryan Nearson to take on the fight here in Eastern Michigan. Chris Creighton, 11 Eagles. I'll start first. Give me Eastern Michigan. Give me the Eagles from down under. I only picked this game because I love Chris Creighton more than I probably should, and <laughs> I actively campaigned for him on SRZ to get the Michigan State job. If obviously I wanted Mel Tucker, I wanted Luke Fickle first, but if those two sort of flamed out, I wanted Creighton just because anyone that knows anything about Eastern Michigan football at all knows that six wins or seven wins for them a year is like 11 wins for every other team because there's a 40 year period when they were playing like an FCS team every single week. Coming off an ugly 13 12 win over Miami of Ohio, but it seems like Eastern Michigan does a good job of winning these mid tier MAC games. Give me the Eagles. It's Alani Pride, Depot Town. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm making this pick pretty blindly. I'm just going to – I'll go with the Eagles as well um, for fun. <laughs> Give me Ball State. 
Uh, Ball State's coming off a dominant win over Western Michigan. Western Michigan's a really good football team, and they put up 45 on them. Western Michigan already has a Power 5 win. They went and beat Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's had some pretty impressive wins as well. Um, So I will take Ball State to win this game on the road. All right, our final game of this week's slate. Michigan State, four-and-a-half-point favorites as they travel down to Bloomington in the battle for the old Raspatoon, maybe the ugliest trophy in college football, even though the land-grant trophy also doesn't look very, very pretty. Give me the Spartans from Michigan State. I can't pick against the Spartans. I haven't done it all year. And yeah, so you did. Far, I did. You picked, uh, you picked Western Kentucky. I did. Oh, God bless it. You're right. I love how he can remember my picks better than even I can. I just, this line, again, it's small enough where Michigan State can play like crap for two and a half quarters and still win by 10. I think Indiana has the weapons to stay with them for a while, but there's just been some sort of disconnect for this entire team. I don't see how Jack Tuttle is going to be able to compete with Peyton Thorne and Kenneth Walker and Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor for four quarters. I know it's at Memorial, but again, Memorial, and this was a point I was going to make during the broadcast, but I'll sort of loop it in now. Michigan State's lucky in the teams that they go on the road against this year. SHI, Ryan, and Memorial are three of the smallest teams in the Big Ten. You're not playing, you know, in Happy Valley with 110,000 people. None of those stadiums that I just mentioned hold about 55,000 people. So you might get a game like you did against Rutgers where you have 40,000 people show up. Yeah, it'll be a little bit of a home advantage for the Hoosiers, but it's nothing like you're going to get when you go down to the shoe in three weeks. And then you go to Ross Aid. So, I mean, like, you're not, they're not playing a lot of really big, they're they're definitely playing on the shallower end of the Big Ten swimming pool this year in terms of seating capacity. I like Michigan State to cover and win. Yeah, give me Michigan State. I think they're going to be looking to finally have that complete game, and I think the defense is going to come out strong right off the bat, um, and I think that's going to kind of demoralize Indiana. And they're, I think once the defense sets the tone, that Indiana won't really be able to bounce back from that. So I think it will be a big lead. 100% agree. Michigan State needs to set the tone quickly. Indiana's coming off some tough losses and they're looking to get confidence back. If the Spartans can punch them in the mouth earlier, early, I don't know that Indiana can hang in it. Give me Spartans by double digits. Well, and I, this is another interesting point that you guys have brought up. Um, you know, before we sign on off here, I wasn't able to get to this because I wasn't thinking about it because my brain's made of Swiss cheese. Um, <laughs> which is weird because I'm allergic to cheese. So maybe that's why I'm allergic to cheese because my brain is cheese. But other than that... <laughs> You cannot let Indiana have a degree. You don't, this team is frustrated right now. They're flustered. This is not the start that you imagined. Through five games, you're two and three. The moment that they start feeling good, the moment that there's a small degree of confidence, the moment that Jack Tuttle proves that, hey, maybe I can give Michael Penix a bit of a run for his money when he comes back from the separated shoulder AC joint issue, Michigan State's going to be in trouble. And I think the Spartans win this game, improve to 7 0. And then let's talk about the team down the road. For two weeks, I am a fr- I am ashamed to admit. At one time in my younger years, in my stupid years, I was a Michigan fanboy. But I have renounced my sinful ways in the eyes of our Lord and Savior Mel Tucker. So I think that um, you know my sins have been washed away, and you know hopefully the sins of Captain Khakis will exp- will 
fall exponentially on October 30th. And I know I said that, Zach, just because your dad's a preacher. And it <laughs> I was be- just kind of, I was waiting to say something about Jack Tuttle, and it completely took a very different turn from what I was about to say. But I was about to say, Jack Tuttle, when he came in for Penix last year, went on the road and beat a very good Wisconsin team. I know Wisconsin not very good this year, but they were good last year. Jack Tuttle has experience, and he's been solid when filling in for Penix. So, if you give him some confidence, this could be a dangerous game. Look out. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Michigan State set to kick off against Indiana. (laughs) I don't know why I did that, but you know what? Why not? We were on the topic. Michigan State set to duel do battle against Indiana at 12 o'clock on Saturday, October 16th. Spartans coming into the game with a 6-0 record. Indiana will be sporting a 2-3 and record, as we have already stated. We will be on the air. Give us a tune in at impact89fm.org backslash listen live or 88.9 FM if you are in the Lansing, East Lansing metropolitan area. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, for Zach Serdnick and Aiden Champion. We'll talk to you next time.